This is Staff Sergeant Oliver Stamps. Uh, he came to Golf 27, the first platoon, as a platoon sergeant. Uh, sometime in the fall of uh, late fall of 69. And I think it was right around Christmas time, maybe a week before. But uh, we were out on an operation and he'd gone on a couple ambushes with me and stuff. And he, he traveled with my, my uh, squad quite a bit. I think he felt comfortable there. But it, one, uh, one operation, it was a day patrol, we ended up, we found a, where a, uh, there'd been a camp, an NVA camp, and there was some artifacts there, and, and uh, one of the deals was a booby trap, was booby trap. So, uh, <clears throat> so uh, Staff Sergeant Oliver, Stamps, and myself uh, went up and we're checking out this uh, booby trap. And he says, well, he says, I can blow this. He says, get back. So, I, you know, I started moving back, and he took out a grenade. And he, I guess he was going to uh, somehow set it up where he could lay it there and then move the grenade later and then pop it and blow this booby trap up. But while he was trying to set that up, he pumped that. And it, we call it milking. He milked the grenade in it. The, it popped, and he looked around, and there was, there was, he only had a second or two, but we had, my squad was scattered uh, around security, not too far from him, and there was no place he could really throw that grenade that would ensure that uh, he wouldn't hit any of the troops. So he, he ate it. He put it down, hand on his chest, dove on the ground and, and took the full blast. It blew his face. There was a, his nose was gone and most of the skin off his face and he had a lot of uh, chest wounds, body wounds. But uh, uh, we got a medevac in and got him out of there and he was still alive when we got him out. We, in fact, we sent our corpsman with him to try to keep him alive, but he didn't last very long. I think by the time they got him to the hospital or shortly thereafter that he passed. And we knew that uh, he was married, and it, I don't remember now that he only had one child, but, I, but we knew he had kids. And uh, he was a great guy. Uh, you know, I didn't know him that long. All I know is he was pretty gung-ho, and he was ready to take that extra step. I think he had served in Vietnam before, but not as a staff NCO, not as a platoon sergeant. So he was learning also, and I uh, hated to see him go like that. It was it was a terrible deal, uh, the way it, it went down, because it didn't have to go down that way. We could have blown it some other way. Anyway, do you all, uh, Sergeant Stamps, Stamps, Sergeant Stamps, Semper Fi, to you and your family, our Golf 27 uh, Association has contacted the Stamps mm -hmm. and actually provided a scholarship to, uh, to his daughter. Really?
This is a gunny out of Camp Hamilton. A couple weeks ago, I was on Coyote Watch, sitting in the golf cart about 3.30 in the morning, and I felt to move my legs and felt like my feet were very heavy. And I had my forehead leaned up against the steering wheel of the golf cart, and I looked down, and I had a skunk asleep laying across <laughs> my feet. I just started trying to make some noise, and it finally lifted his head up and looked straight at me, and then laid his head back down. So I made a little bit more noise, trying to get it to move, and finally it looked at me again and just kind of trotted off the edge of the golf cart and walked away. And I wiped the sweat off my forehead. Thank good Lord he didn't get mad and spray me because I would still not be <laughs> smelling good today. Riding around on my motorcycle and I heard rumors about a place called Camp Hamilton. It was kind of a Marine Corps hideaway type place and I I must have looked around here a couple of hours and I, I finally found it and it was an absolute skeleton of what it is today. And there was no one here and so the only piece of paper I had was a personal check. So on the back of the check I wrote, you know, my name's so and so and so and so, I'm a former Marine, you know, get a hold of me. Okay, uh, it was close to the Marine Corps birthday. And at post 682, we, uh, you know, had a Marine Corps, uh, Colonel Kenyon, uh, my beloved Colonel Kenyon, late Colonel Kenyon, uh, he had the uh, SOS breakfast there at that time. Hi, Charlie, how's it going? And, you made it. Yeah, and uh, that's good. So uh, I was sitting there in the bar. You want somebody to bring yeah. you a plate? I, I was I was sitting there in the bar, and here come Glenn and his buddy, both in dress blues, and they said, "Is this guy's check any good in the bar here?" And I went from there. So that is the first time I had met Glenn, and um, we went uh, bar hopping, and I played the bagpipes in probably. Oh, half a dozen taverns in uh, in and around Bakersfield, and getting more and more drunk. And a lady named uh, Shirley Dum Dum, would you believe? Oh yes. And Shirley was a mathematics professor at, at uh, Bakersfield College, and she was in one of these bars, and she wanted, you know, we were all getting jolly. And like she said, he wanted to try uh, Glenn's friend's dress blue jacket on. And this gal was very, very, very buxom. And I mean, just a, a happy soul. So she put this thing on and she flexed and out, out came the seams in the, uh, yeah. And uh, anyway, it was all in fun. And uh, like I say, we uh, went through a few more bars and so I, I told Charlie, I said, I found Camp Hamilton. He said, well, show me where it is. So we came out in Charlie's pickup. And, uh, um, you know, that's, that's how we found the place. And uh, 
Len, uh, you know, he was here, and uh, you know, we we it just it, we had a great time from then on. So, it was a check, a bar, a dress jacket, and alcohol. That yeah. is the story of how you found Camp Hamilton. Uh, yeah, I would say that's a, a, a good summary. <laughs> yeah, but then I mean. It was a, just a, a skeleton of what this place was, and there was a lot of work to be done, and both Charlie and I pitched in and talk about manual labor. I mm -hmm. mean, we worked this place, and I see some of the stuff that I that I helped build. Makes and, you proud? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and uh, like I mentioned to you, this place has evolved into something that was really, really, I'm really proud of. Uh, when I When I think of... It was, it was a four-day drunk for many years, and it was all Marines. You saw very, very, you know, I mean, they came from all of Southern California. Uh, God, there was people coming from Arizona, Colorado, I mean, you know, former Marines. It was the place to be. And you would let a corpsman in like my dad, yes? Oh, I, oh no, he, he, Navy corpsmen were considered Marines. Of course. Absolutely, yeah, I mean, that was... Um, uh, like the Seabees, mm -hmm. they consider the, you know, the Marines. But uh, that was uh, the story. I, I thought I had told you that one. I do, but I wanted to record it again. Oh, okay. Thank you. I could tell you um, all the stories about Loomis Ranch. My God. Where is Loomis Ranch? It's in Royal Grande. Okay. And it's back. Well, actually, it's back in the hills about 10 no, that's Charlie <laughs> but anyway I'm a, I'm a former Marine too honey hold that for just a second please yeah. oh, thank you I'm a former Marine too you want me to bring you one? yeah if you would I, I'd really appreciate it there is another piece of that story there's another piece of that story. I want that piece from you. Right there, that corner. Okay. Of the uh, Uh huh. My buddies and I used to hunt that place. Okay, so anyway, let me get you. You, you want to tell the story? Or do you want to eat first? Oh, I don't want. I'm, I never want to eat. Tell you you never want to eat? Then. No. I like. To, I'll take it home and eat it. Okay. So, so Charlie, you want to tell us a story? Yeah, I'd love. <laughs> Richard Spielman, my buddy. And my myself and John something, we would hunt off that point for a dove every year. What is that point right there? That's the edge of an orange orchard, and there's a canal in front of us, and then there's Camp Hamilton. That's moving from west to, to east. So we'd sit there on that west corner, on the west corner, and there was a big sign in those days. It said Camp Hamilton, and my buddies were all convinced that this was some kind of a military installation. <laughs> And I would watch, there was a, it looked like a corrugated tin lean-to, and it, it was hotter than heck, and we'd watch the, the lean-to in the lounge chairs. Uh -huh. The guys were sitting in lounge chairs, too far away to recognize. And they'd, every, the sun would move, and they would move. The sun would move, and they'd move under, closer under that corrugated steel. Well, I got the broad idea that I told them, I said, hey, I'm going to go over there and find out what that's all about. And they said, oh, no, you're not, Chuck. And I said, <laughs> okay, all right, all right, don't get excited. So one of my, I shot a bird, and it fell 
over the canal and onto the property there. And I said, oh, I'm heading over the canal. And I, and I hear Richard say, you take two more steps and I'm going to shoot you in the ass with my shotgun. <laughs> he said, you're not going in there. I said, God, I was just picking up my bird here. And then later, uh, Don introduced me to Glenn. And it was the beginning of 40 years of terror. <laughs> it's been that long, 40 years. 36 or 40. Yeah, it's, very I long know it's been 30. Well, I'm 72 now. <laughs> Before that camp out, uh, this is pretty tall grass, dry grass out here. So I mowed out a bunch of lanes out through there. So the kids are out there playing miniature golf up and down the hills through those lanes in the grass and that was on beyond here uh, this was as far that was the first tree outside of where the buildings are headed west my dad's tree up in the corner that was as far as the, the park came so all of this is since that time when we did henry's tree and I think I was standing about here talking to the group when uh, it started raining. It was Memorial Day weekend, and uh, people started getting out of and pulling out things to cover up and getting out of the rain, trying to get back to the patio and stuff. And people kept, a group just kept shrinking. And finally, there was only three of us left out here. And uh, I think it was. Mark Marquez and, and uh, um, Arnold Garay and myself. And they thought it was funny standing out here in the storm and raining and everything. And all of a sudden, uh, a big uh, bolt of uh, lightning came and, and uh, <clears throat> I said, no balls, Thornhead. <laughs> and it cracked. The thunder showed up right after that. And these guys took off running. <laughs> and the lightning struck right here on the ground. And holy smokes, everybody in that camp, they, nobody wanted to stand by me after that. It there's, was done. There's no grass right there to this <laughs> no, day. That's grass still don't grow there. <laughs> I think that grass not growing there is probably a different reason. I know, but it's a funny story. <laughs> but it's a good story, yes. You want to talk about them? Or are you good? Uh. Gunnery Sergeant Ben Halibani, great guy, longtime friend, uh, retired from the Marine Corps as a gunny, but was forever known as Gunny Halibani. Uh, friends and members of the 1st Marine Division Association, everybody knew him as Gunny. But here at Camp Hamilton, all the kids uh, referred to him as grumpy instead of gunny because he could really get after the kids. So, uh, and it was all for fun. But uh, when I first started getting the 1st Marine Division involved at Camp Hamilton, him and Fidel Hernandez were the first two bodfishers to come out and start getting involved. And both of them have trees here and are very well honored here. Ben, right next to my RV, and Fidel, right next to the whole uh, patio area. 
between the honeymoon suite and the big L-shaped patio. But bodfish forever, forgetting. Uh, we had a lot of good times, a lot of good fishing stories to tell. And as I mentioned to you several times about uh, the involvement of Sergeant Bodfish Bales, as everyone called him. Uh, he was a Korean War veteran, communicator, and had so many great stories. But he was a true, true Marine and a dear friend and tougher than nails. He, uh, he owned a little house up in uh, uh, Kernville and he'd visit it once in a while. His mother lived there and uh, cleared up until she passed away. Then he, he, uh, he wanted me to buy it, which I didn't have the funds at the time and I was busy in other things. Anyway, uh, Howard passed away a few years ago and uh, he had high honors at uh, his funeral and then on to the National Cemetery and then we had a big, big celebration of life at the VFW in, in uh, Tehachapi. And uh, as always, Howard, you were a great guy. And remind me to show you pictures of him in his hat. All right. And he has a big old black top hat and he had pins and stuff all over. He was a big time, uh, I don't know if you know about the clampers. Well, he was a big time clamper guy and he had pins and stuff from all over and he'd wear that to every for bodfish formation, no matter where it was. And he was one of the past presidents of uh, bodfish chapter also. Now, how did the bodfish chapter begin? <clears throat> At the end of World War II, uh, and all of the the First Marine Division guys were coming back from the war, and uh, they started hitting the big cities and wanting to stay in contact. So they started making chapters of the First Marine Division. They started a national association, and they had chapters in Dallas and in Miami, New York, Philadelphia, uh, Seattle. Pretty much all the Chicago, pretty much all the big towns in the country. Los Angeles. Well, a bunch of these old vets from uh, this area, Central California area, they didn't want to travel to San Francisco or L.A. to be involved in uh, the First Marine Division Association. So they decided they'd make their own chapter. But in order to do it, uh, they wanted to find a town, figure out what town they wanted to name it after, and make sure it was a town that probably nobody ever heard of. So they went searching, and they came up with Bodfish, California. And uh, very few people knew where it was, but when they got enough signatures on it to send it in, uh, there was enough signatures, so their charter was approved. And then they started saying, hey, where is this? And how are you going to contribute to the First Marine Division Association? Which at the time was trying to raise a lot of money for a scholarship fund for dependents of veterans of the First Marine Division. And a lot of them didn't come home. They were deceased. So that was a big purpose for them. Just so happened 
that little group that grew every day of bodfishers would have functions and then big functions and more people would come and they made more money and sent more money to the first marine division scholarship fund than any other uh, chapter in the country and by then they were self-proclaimed the world famous bod fishers and they came out with their own insignia big old cowboy for president uh, a smaller one for vice president and all kinds of things that were just special just to the bod fish chapter of the first marine division association and i was so fortunate to have been grabbed when i was young and introduced to it and i enjoyed it so much uh, through the years that uh, when i came back from saudi arabia in 1993 they did uh, a special homecoming bodfish style they rented two big um, houseboats up on Lake Shasta and there was 26 of us I think went up there and we went out for a week-long fishing trip and what a blast that was well I had so much fun with it at the end of the the fishing trip they all decided that I should be the next president of that outfit and I tried to tell them I thought there's probably something illegal in it because I was still on active duty in the Marine Corps but they did make me the president and I had so much fun doing it in the higher echelon at Camp Pendleton thought it was so great that we used to have bodfish parties at Camp Pendleton oh Friday afternoons we'd find a place somewhere on the base and, and have a barbecue and invite the sailors and marines who were serving with first marine division aboard Pendleton at that time and we'd always get quite a crew and had a good time. So uh, after I retired, uh, they kept doing that and they're still doing it to this day. But they've moved it now where they're also doing it at 29 Palms. When we started that, it was just at Camp Pendleton. But now it's 29 Palms and I think they still have probably more fun than we did. And uh, uh, it's gotten a lot bigger and they've forgotten about us bodfishers. <laughs> probably. We should go remind them. They probably would don't want to be reminded. But anyway, that's a uh, Howard Bales was one of the biggies on that. And since he lived up in the Kern Valley, he was one of them that come up with uh, bodfish, and he lived it proud. John Loomis, Brevet Corporal, USMC, World War II, Pacific, China bodfish forever john joined uh, the marine corps 17 years old uh during world war ii and and uh, what a champ he was off to the war he went wasn't there for the early part of it but he was there for the landing uh on okinawa in the battle of okinawa or he uh, was a jeep driver picking up casualties on the beach and his Jeep got blown up and he got wounded. Uh, he uh, survived that, and but he never forgot his Marines and sailors that he served with, and he
he became later in his life and about the middle of mine uh, a surrogate uh, father to me <laughs> and we did all kinds of things together and lots of fishing trips and camp outs trips to Camp Pendleton I mean there's his trips over to his ranch now, I could tell you stories all day long about some of those uh, on his sign here and he he proclaimed to be uh, a brevet corporal United States Marine Corps well that's part of his humor and he oh the man had such humor but going back to Custer uh, back in the Indian Wars Custer during the Civil War Custer had made general and then at the end of the war uh, he wanted to go out west so they reduced him to lieutenant colonel and sent him out uh, with the cavalry but he always wanted to get that star back well uh, during that time frame even though he was reduced to lieutenant colonel he considered himself always as brevet general Custer well brevet corporal Loomis was kind of like that he had never been a corporal but he had made lance corporal and so he proclaimed he was a brevet corporal which is the same as a brevet general but not quite that uh, high anyway Loomis was a character and uh, after Okinawa he went through other segments of the war and after the war was over they sent him and his unit to Tenzin, China and he stayed there for several months before he came back went back to his family ranch at uh, Royal Grandy it's called Tar Springs Ranch and there's pictures and lots of stories and there's probably I think mm, several books wrote about him and his family uh, partially because his older sister Pat worked for the San Jose Tribune I think it was and she wrote a lot of stories about the family and used John as one of the big ones because he was a World War II hero anyway John is a crazy guy uh, quick story about him one time we were he invited me over and, and we were there at the ranch and he says let's take a ride and he was starting to sell some places out on the ranch and people building homes and stuff out there I think he wouldn't sell anything less than 40 acres but the, the road across the ranch went out through the area where these homes were being built so this morning where he, he says uh, let's take a ride in his old uh, crew cab pickup we're driving across the ranch and real slow and he's setting it at tension and he's playing Marine Corps music all the way through the houses and across the ranch and he doesn't look at anybody people are coming out of their homes and from working building and stuff and they all come out and they're looking at him what's this crazy guy doing and uh, we get all the way through him out of sight and he looks over and he says what do you think about me now <laughs> he was a character I love the man it's a man can, uh, if one marine can love another I love John Lumley.
This tree was uh, dedicated to another old bod fisher, Lucky Cooper. And he was World War II Marine vet and was very active in the bod fisher uh, community of Marines. And he liked to cook, so he'd go to many of the campouts and just bring pots and pans and we'd live in tents or out of uh, just a, a cot out in the forest. And he'd set up a kitchen and he'd cook for us. And great guy, old Lucky. Uh, everyone, he just were thrilled to have Lucky around. And he was a very dear friend to all the bod fishers. Uh, one story that I remember quite frankly about him was we had a camp out at Lake Lopez over not far from Arroyo Grande, just north of Arroyo Grande. And <clears throat> Lucky had his lean-to with all of his pots and pans and everything hanging. And he had it set up with a, a propane stove out where he could cook. And during the night, all of a sudden, there's a, a bunch of racket and beating on these pans and in uh, Lucky screaming, get the hell out of here, get out of my sleeping area, just screaming and hollering. And, mm -hmm. and we all woke up and we're looking and go down to his area and he's sleeping. Laid back down and went to sleep. So uh, the next morning when we get up, you know, ask him, what, what in the world was all that racket last night, Lucky? He said, oh, mountain lion came through my tent here. A <laughs> mountain all, lion. We all laughed at him. Yeah, sure, a mountain lion, Lucky. Well, it wasn't before we even had breakfast, a park ranger come up. And he said, uh, there was reports of a mountain lion in this part around the lake last night. Wondering if any of you guys seen him. So we told him, hey, that old guy over there, he, he said he came through his tent. And the ranger went over and he says, yeah, there's his tracks. <laughs> Come right through Lucky's tent. <laughs> and Lucky just yelled at him. He, he yelled at the mountain lion beat, and the mountain lion yeah, went on his way. He beat on his pans, made a lot of racket, and the mountain lion left. <laughs> That's Lucky Cooper. He was a quiet guy. And he was lucky. And he was lucky. Yeah. I don't know or don't recall exactly how he picked up that lucky as a handle, but it wasn't then. He had it long All before right. then. But Lucky Cooper, I salute you, my friend. Master Sergeant Penny Baker, United States Marine Corps, retired. Everyone just called him Penny. Nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Had a little problem with uh, uh, sugar diabetes and they took him away inches at a time as he took off his legs. But he never gave up the will, and he was always a hard old Marine Corps. Uh, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam before he retired. Um, one of his favorite meals, and he wouldn't go a day without it, even though he had cherry diabetes, was a big old stack of bologna and a thick slab of cheese and two slices of bread, and that was that was his meal, and he'd have it at least twice a day. Penny was a great guy. He didn't talk a lot, but he smiled all the time. And we were hoping that we'd have many more years to him, with him. A great guy. Yeah, Cerny about him.
Ernie took care of Penny for years. Anyway, one year, he went to all kinds of reunions, definitely all Marine Corps. But one year he was at an American Legion uh, state uh, conference in Redding, California. And he's in his wheelchair because he's already lost uh, one leg completely and the other one pretty much all of it. And he was at the conference there. They had a handicap area, but Penny never considered himself handicapped. So he would go down the steeper area and just hold on and slow himself down because he's as strong as an ox in his arms and hands and slow himself down. Well, his wheelchair got away from him and uh, he went down fast and crashed and what the world couldn't do for him or do to him in World War II and the Chinese and the North Koreans couldn't do to him in Korea and the North NVA and Chinese and everyone else who were after him in Vietnam. What they couldn't do, that wheelchair ride did. He hit the bottom, his wheelchair flipped, broke his neck and Penny died right there amongst veterans where I know he wanted to be. But Penny was a great guy, I loved him too. PFC Jeff Gollins, <laughs> what a character. Him and his wife would never miss a trip to Camp Hamilton. Anything going on out here, they would come. They lived in, in Yuma, they came to visit. They lived in Texas, they came out. Northern California, they'd come down. And anytime Rosemary and Jim would get in an argument, Jim would tell, tell Rosemary, I'm going to Bakersfield. So <laughs> they both loved it here. He was a great guy, a Korean War veteran, combat veteran, and fought through the Chozon Reservoir and just loved to tell stories and not about combat. He always found something humorous or something that needed to be shared, but never a sad story. And uh, the world would be better off with more people like Jim Collins. Irby Ray Edwards, what a character. He's a Korean War veteran, Marine Corps. And we, we met here in Bakersfield because he had heard about Camp Hamilton and he started to come out and do little things here and there and then help with big functions and he really got involved in it and him and I became good friends. And then one day as we're talking about some event or whatever, it came up that uh, his birthday was January 31st. Well, I looked at him and I said, Irby, that's my birthday. So that kind of, we thought that was pretty special. I think we probably had one or two beers to toast that. And then uh, sometime later, we uh, we went up to uh, Antioch, California, to get a load of uh, chairs that had been donated 
old Squidley, Mike Squidley, rounded up through different veterans organizations and about 150 folding chairs, and they were pretty good shape, but we had to get transportation for them. So Irby said, I'll go, I'll take old Whitey, and he had an old white pickup, and he had a horse trailer. And this guy was big into the horses and the mules, and he took the, the desert days, he'd go out there and take his mules across the desert. Great guy. So as we're uh, driving up to Antioch, or I guess it was on our way back, we went and got the chairs, we spent a night up there, and on our way back, uh, we started talking about uh, our uh, our dads, and uh, I told him that uh, my dad was probably the best friend I ever had, and Irby said something like, well, how about me? And as I laughed, I said, well, my dad was born July 19th, 1909, and, and uh, so that makes him a whole lot older than you, Irby. So I don't think you're ready to be my dad. And he said, what day? I said, July 19th, 1909. And he, he put on the brakes and pulled over, and he said, you got to be kidding me. He says, that's my dad's birthday. <laughs> so this takes it a little further into our our friendship and the fun we had going on and uh, boy did we did some things that probably shouldn't tell some of the stories here him <laughs> ri him riding his horse into the bars in Oildale and and uh, drinking beer at Camp Hamilton while we were working and him having his phone on and not realizing it and he's telling about a 10 or 12 of us all these stories about his wife and this and that and he didn't know she was listening to it oh. the whole time all of a sudden here comes this truck booming a big cloud of dust over the hill <laughs> yeah yeah uh, he got she, in trouble Irby get out of here <laughs> Irby didn't take things too serious yeah and June was his wife. June, uh, I, I highly upset, but Irby wasn't out there very long and promised her he'd turn his phone off and he came back in. So that, that was a, kind of a cool story, I thought. <laughs> well, then a few years later, uh, over Tar Springs Ranch at John Loomis, uh, because Irby had never been over there. I started taking him over there several years before this time, but. Uh, John had a bunch of bighorn sheep, Barbados bighorn sheep, about 30 of them. And he called me and he says, I'm tired of buying hay for these hay burners. He said, when you come over for the camp out, he says, bring a horse trailer and take them all home with you. He said, we'll have a, a sheep roundup over here and, and uh, it'll, we'll have the kids out there running the sheep down. Look like, looks like a lot of fun. and, and uh, they can catch all them sheep and put them in your trailer and you guys can take them back to Camp Hamilton and take care of them over there. We still have some of them here. Mm. That are, and that's been years and years ago. So anyway, Herbie uh, uh, took his trailer, truck over there and he backed up to the supposedly rodeo arena and was all ready to go. And John had bleachers set up out 
uh, on the street for people to come and watch the big sheep roundup, the rodeo. And he's calling everybody, come on up for this rodeo. Come on up. This is going to be fun. And people start migrating that way. And he turned them loose. And he told the kids, well, you can start chasing them. Probably take you a couple hours to catch them all. So just so happens, one of my daughters and her best friend were there. And they were like 15 years old. Well, they, they weren't very big. They were slender girls. But they were tough, and they got it in their mind that they were going to have fun in there. And the first thing they did was they went after the biggest ram in the whole bunch. And they grabbed him by his horns, and they dragged him into the horse trailer. And just as people were starting to get seated, all the rest of the sheep herd ran in and jumped in the trailer and followed that ram in there. The rodeo was over, and John said, "Turn him loose! Give us another chance!" And he's shooting pop-ups and throwing firecrackers and stuff. That's too late. Those sheep wouldn't even come out of there unless they drug that ram back out, and they weren't going to do that. So that was John's big rodeo. Well, we laughed about it and laughed about it, and on our way back to Bakersfield and trying to figure out where we were, we were going to put them when we got here, exactly how we were going to take care of them. And we get a, out about halfway between here and, and Santa Maria. And we're talking about, you know, his birthday, my birthday, our dad's birthday. And I said, I had a little brother. Uh, so just, uh, him and I didn't get along real well. And we've had a lot of problems over the years. And I said, but he died uh, pretty young in, in his 40s. And I said, it's, He's born on October 5th, and he, again, he pulled over and stopped. He said, how much younger was he than you? And I said, well, I turned one in January, and he was born that following October. So not quite two years. And he shook his head, and he says, my little brother, was much older than your brother, but he was the same time younger than me, and he was born on October 5th. We decided uh, there's no way in hell we could be related because I was much better looking than him, or I think <laughs> I think he said it the other way around, but uh, that cemented our relationship and our fun, and for the rest of his life. Uh, we laughed about that, and we did a lot of things. In fact, that big set of longhorns that's in on the patio, uh, he had built a big house. He'd won some money in it, the lottery, and he put the big fireplace and stuff in there, and he said, Dan, you got those bones that you bought over at Loomis? I said, yes, I do. And he said, how about loaning them to me until I die? <laughs> I said, sure, or be anything you want. And I thought he was joking. Well, he took those horns, and they went above his fireplace out on Meacham Drive in Bakersfield, and they hung there until after he passed. And his wife, June, that didn't like some of the things he was saying, brought him back to me. <laughs> so anyway, Irby and I were close and good friends, and, and everyone that ever knew him.
misses him. He was quite a character and a lot of fun. Three generations here. His grandpa, uh, actually, his dad, he's missing his uncles in here. I thought his uncles was here too. In, in his. And he was a big contributor to Camp Hamilton. And you'd ask for his tree. Well, this, this is the only surviving coastal redwood uh, in the camp. All the rest of them have had the beetles or different things happen to them. And this is the big, nice one. And it looks healthy. A lot of new growth up there. But uh, I first met Mike Enos Squidley. Uh, it had never been called Squidley according to him. But him and uh, Dennis Hodge, who lived, they both lived up in Antioch. And they came down uh, one year to go dove hunting September of, I don't know, probably 2000 or 2001, along in there. And they set up over here uh, by the canal where you go across the canal over there. And back then, our road to come in here came directly from there over the hill and into the camp. So that road that goes on the other side of Bacacus Hall was the actual road in here. Well, they're out there hunting, and uh, one of the Marines from the INI staff seen him over there, and he thought he'd go and, and uh, run him off. So he confronted him and said, uh, you guys veterans? And he said, yeah. Dennis says, I'm a Marine veteran. And Mike says, well, I'm a Navy veteran. And it's Chris Gomes. He, he was a staff sergeant at the time. That's who got us the pump and part of this water. Keep One of the reasons we have green grass out here. Anyway, he said, well, have you met Master Gunny Denton? No, nope, never heard of him, either one of them. So he said, well, you better go meet him. He's over there on the patio. And there was a few of us sitting over there, and he brought them in and uh, introduced them. <laughs> and we, I started giving him the bad time be, about being a squid and all this. And, and uh, we were, the they were laughing, and, you know, we had a good time. So they had their little uh, RV trailer sitting right over there by where they were hunting. And I said, well, why don't you just take, bring your trailer and pull it on over here where, you, you know, you're not going to get shot because there's, it's more organized and civilized over here. So they, they said, yeah, that'd be a good idea. So they brought it over here and set it up, up on top of the hill, right in the middle up here. And uh, <clears throat> we were having a few drinks and having fun. They decided they were going to go to town, get something to eat, and visit some of Dennis's uh, friends. He lived down here and moved to Antioch. But he had a lot of friends down here. He's going to go meet some of them. So they took off to town. Well, the people that were here slowly started drifting out and leaving. So at some point, there was only two of us left, and that was Doc Howard, who donated what the old sick bay, which we're remodeling up here, and myself. And we start laughing about, we'll hide their trailer from them. How do you hide a trailer? Well, we're geniuses. We figured it right out. Okay. We went and got a big old piece of camouflage netting and 
It wasn't green, nothing was green out here then. And in September, everything was brown, like that hill over there, brown, brown, brown as could be. And we stretched that netting clear up over their trailer. So even knowing where it was, uh, I couldn't hardly see it. And we got off in the, a ways and, and watched them. Well, it was pretty late, almost midnight by the time they finally come back. Well, they, they went over there to where they had had it set and they knew from there how to get to the camp. But we heard them over there laughing and raising cane. Well, they'd come across over there and there used to be, in fact, there's still part of it laying there, a sign that said Camp Hamilton with an arrow up over the hill. It's laying mm -hmm. over there. Well, they ran into that and knocked it down and they were out rolling around on the ground and then they thought, well, maybe we better go see if we can find our, our trailer. So, they come driving into the camp. There's no green grass or anything, nothing but brown. They finally found a way to come in from the canal across the top of that hill. They figured, they think that's where it's at. And they couldn't find it. They got closer and closer. And it's not here. And they almost run into it. And then they seen the cami net. And they rolled out of the truck again, rolling around in the dirt. And uh, from that trip on, Mike Enos was a camp friend. Uh, he'd do anything for the camp. And he did. Donated a lot, worked a lot, got things for the camp. Did a lot of writing about the camp. He was quite a character. And but, all uh, because you hid his trailer. Well, that Dennis we're bringing him here, but with Doc and I, yeah, we we didn't hide it. We just covered it up, and <laughs> <laughs> they they found it, and then they thought that was the best thing in the world. So that trip that Irby and I made to Antioch to get those chairs, Mike and Dennis were the ones that got those chairs for us, and. became regulars here and Squidley ended up joining the 1st Marine Division Association is a <clears throat> Hayes Gray underway sailor mm -hmm. which were just wasn't many of those that were ever allowed but the ship that he was on uh, the USS Navasota had been in Vietnam in combat waters while he was aboard it so, uh, even though he wasn't considered a Vietnam vet, he was a Vietnam air vet. So, we kind of wanted him to be a member. So, we stretched the rules a little bit, but enough where they approved him for membership. That he served in the Navy, and our standards was to be uh, in the 1st Marine Division, uh, attached to the 1st Marine Division or s supported the 1st Marine Division. And we said that ship out there bobbing around in the South China Sea uh, was supporting the 1st Marine Division who was in land there. And they bought that and he became a, a big shot in the 1st Marine Division Association and a past president of the Bodfish out of Camp Hamilton. <laughs> but we had so much fun. And he, he died young. Uh, but whoa, we, him and I, we had some stories. 
I was out in Phoenix after one time recuperating after I got shot a few times and Mike come out there to help me get better. Well, we decided we're gonna pull the wool over some people's eyes. We looked on the map and there's a little spot. No road goes through it, but it goes to it. A little place called Baghdad. So who's ever heard of Baghdad that's not overseas? Everyone knew Baghdad, but not this one. So we went out of our way, I don't know, took us an hour, I think, to go find Baghdad out here in the desert. There's nothing there but desert. But we took a sign of him and I at the Baghdad city limits, and I think population of 19 or something like that, and they were counting coyotes. But uh, there, I mean, there's a little place, but they had American Legion. And I, at that point, I was a past commander of American Legion, and Mike was a past commander of the American Legion up in Antioch. So we went to the American Legion, had a grand time, and they took pictures of us in front of the, the uh, their sign, Baghdad American Legion. And Mike on one side and I on the other side. So we had all these pictures. And everyone, oh, you staged those pictures. No, we were actually at Baghdad. And uh, so we had fun with it for a couple of years until somebody else found out where Baghdad was really out between here and Phoenix. But <laughs> it was a good story for him and I. Uh, we did a lot of things together. Yeah. I don't think he ever, once we got him into the bodfish chapter, I don't think he ever missed another bodfish camp out either here at Tar Springs Ranch or the fishing trips. And he hosted uh, at least one of the fishing trips after he, the, the past president, once you go out as being president of the bodfish chapter, then the next October, you're supposed to host the next fishing trip. And he did that up north. Great fishing trip. His big thing was striped bass. I'll show you the biggest striped bass in the world. Uh, he got some pretty good sized ones. Anyway, to my friend, Mike Enos, you asked where his tree was. Here's his family tree. This tree is for my husband, Charles Bud Ray. He served in Vietnam from um, 68 to 69. He was there for 13 months. He was a um, crew chief on a helicopter. He was shot down five times. Wow. And still came home. Amazing. <laughs> I always told him he had to come home because he had to meet me. I didn't know him when he was in Vietnam. Um, he died in February of 2011. And um, American Legion Riders, Chapter 26, planted this tree for him on uh, Memorial Day of that same year, which was a surprise to me. I didn't know anything about it. And my boys brought me out here a couple days a few days before so I didn't mm -hmm. just totally fall apart when we came out but um, I just think Camp Hamilton is amazing but since then we have a lot of other trees for people who are members of American Legion Riders that have passed away uh, we have a couple of dads trees that are out here um, members of Legion Riders but their dads passed away and they're planted here also um, and your group comes out here often to take care of us. Yes, we I try to come always out see. for each service. Yes, and then we always come. Um, we always come to the service for um, to honor all these people and uh, 
unfortunately we've had way too many trees planted out here <laughs> you know that's how yeah. it, that's how it happens but uh, they just what is being done out here with these trees is amazing to me just in since 2011 that I've been coming out here such a change you know we're looking at the trees the, the story for today had a picture of just the crowbar and there was mm -hmm. one tree mm -hmm. and it was just so bare out here but now my son and I were laying down and just enjoying the breeze. It was yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, it was beautiful out here today. We couldn't ask for a nicer day to come out here and work. So. This guy, my brother, a great guy, loved him. He's my golfing partner and stuff. And sad to see him do it. But in a place like this,
Philip served his community for five years until his end of watch on July 25th, 2021. Now, I, I didn't know Philip very well. Uh, we worked, uh, I worked for Bakersfield Police and uh, worked with our SWAT team over there. So we had trained with Philip uh, a number of times. And I remember uh, that day vividly. Uh, and it was just, it was something where uh, that feeling of helpless, helplessness, you know, that feeling of it's not supposed to go this way. You know, we're, we, we've got all the stuff that, keeps us safe and the people that keep us safe and it, it, every time we go out on these things it doesn't it doesn't end up you know what I mean so it was uh, it was shocking it was heartbreaking and um, truly sorry 